Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. I want to uh, invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Second Chronicles, and we'll take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer before we begin to study His Word. Father, we rejoice this morning at Your goodness, Your goodness to us in bringing us into relation with You and making us Your children The joy that you have given us in being able to gather together this day in worship and in fellowship. The joy of hearing this report from our young people. Of seeing these bright and energetic, enthusiastic young people who love Jesus, who are committed to following you. That warms our hearts and gives us encouragement We thank you for what you have done in them in this week in maturing and growing them. And and we pray that those seeds will continue to grow. We pray that they will, that that will infect and affect their life and ministry here in our community and among us, that it will be contagious, that we will all, as they have reminded us, be more concerned about and more engaged in the mission you have given us to bring people to Jesus, to be faithful in proclaiming the good news of salvation in Him. So, Father, thank You for a good and a safe trip with the kids. And now thank You for this moment where we get to open Your Word and to hear from You. Direct our minds and our hearts. May our hearts be open. May your word be spoken clearly. And may it change us. So we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 35. If you turn there in your scriptures, we have one more lesson here in this brief series we've been doing for the last uh, six weeks or so called Bright Lights in Dark Times. We've been looking at the lives of of two kings who were living in very dark times in the history of Israel. They were godly men in a nation that was running from God, that was very ungodly. They were men who turned toward God as the nation was continually, as I said, running and turning away from God. They were indeed bright lights in a dark time. We've seen how they serve as examples for us of how we ought to ourselves live as bright lights in our own day. Our text this morning will pick up in verse 23 of chapter 35. And we're continuing this morning with the story of Josiah, which Pastor Aaron covered a couple of weeks ago. I had originally intended to give this message on last week on Father's Day, but as things turned out with the group being gone, I needed to lead worship last week, and I appreciate Brother Andy filling in, giving the word last week. But 
What that means is, is that what you're getting this morning is, was actually last week's message. So you might want to pray that hopefully it doesn't come out stale, <laughs> but fresh. Our passage opens as, we need just a little bit of background, as two world superpowers are about to collide. You may recall, in, even back a few weeks ago as we began with the life of King Hezekiah, that the world superpower of the day was Assyria. And it still is over a hundred years later as Josiah is on the throne of Judah. But Assyria has been the world dominant superpower now for almost 300 years. And they are on the decline, seriously. There's Assyria. Down to the south, Babylon is emerging as the new superpower. And these two forces are about to clash at Carchemish in a battle that will determine who is top dog, who basically rules the world in their view. Nico, down in Egypt, the king of Egypt, he was less afraid of what Assyria was than what he was afraid of what Babylon might become. And so Nico, in his thinking, be, decided that it would be good, a good idea to leave Egypt and go up to Carchemish and to join on the side of Assyria to help defeat this up-and-coming nation of Babylon. However, in Judah, King Josiah has a different view. King Josiah remembers that it was just about 110 years before this that the nation of Assyria came in and wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, taking the people captive and uh, exiling them in other lands. And then he remembers that it was about 20 years after that, back in the day of Hezekiah, about 90 years before this, that Assyria came very close to wiping out the southern kingdom of Judah. And so King Josiah favors Babylon in this fight. He doesn't want Assyria to maintain control. He would really love to see Babylon win this war. So while King Josiah doesn't choose to go join in the battle up at Carchemish, he decides it would be a good idea to try to prevent King Nico from getting the Egyptians up there to help the Assyrians. King Nico has no quarrel with King Josiah. He doesn't want to get into a fight with the nation of Judah. But King Josiah will not budge, and so a battle ensued between Egypt and Judah on the plains of Megiddo, or what most of us would think of as or call Armageddon. Many battles in history there, and of course we know there is a great battle coming one day in that very spot. And that's where our text picks up here now in Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 23. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. And so his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. 
and he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All of Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah, and all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day, and they made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. And just like that, the good and godly king Josiah, the king who had come to the throne as a boy at the age of eight, who has ruled well and lived godly for 31 years, dies at the age of 39. And as I said this morning, as I looked at the, uh, all the teenagers over there this morning, I said, you know, when I was their age, 39 seemed really old. Now, of course, 39 seems very young. But several things I want to notice this morning as I want to draw our attention to Josiah's life is the legacy that we leave behind. If you died today, how would others remember you? I had a conversation with someone this week, and they said, you know, we are all going to die. We just don't know when. Because I had mentioned in our conversation that I was going to the bedside of someone who's dying at any, at any moment. And he's absolutely right. All of us are dying, we just don't know when. Some of us may die at 95, some of us at 80. We may die of old age, we may die of, of all kinds of things. We may die of a disease, or we may die of an accident. We may be walking out of church this morning and trip on the way out the door and die on the porch. We really don't know. And it can happen to us at an old age or it can happen to us very young. The question for all of us is, if we died today, how would others remember you? What would be the epitaph of your life? And will you and I leave a legacy of value? I want to notice three things our text tells us after Josiah's death. It tells us here, if we go back and look, it says that he was mourned by everyone. The whole nation of his contemporaries mourned his death. And I realize that actually is quite a significant statement. You know, our country is full of politicians and leaders. And I don't think that if that if any of them die, that the whole nation is sorry. I don't think the whole nation mourns. They may put on a show about it. <laughs> There's an awful lot of people that are glad when someone dies that they don't agree with. But amazingly, the entire nation, it says, mourned. We'll find out more why. That's a big tribute for a political figure. Another thing I notice is it says even the great prophet Jeremiah mourned his death and wrote songs or laments. That's a, a song of mourning, of sorrow, honoring Jeremiah. And I notice that these laments were a hit. Everyone sang them. They became even a tradition that the, the people of the chronicler's day, as he writes this, he says they're still singing the songs of Jeremiah. And this chronicler is writing about 70 years after the time of Josiah. 
What that says is Josiah is a stark contrast to many folks, including one of his ancestors. If you go back, one of his great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandfathers, King Jehoram. Second Chronicles tells us a few chapters back in chapter 21. It says, after he died, it says, he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. No one regretted Jehoram's death. I find that tragic. And I say, how many of us want to die like that? Where nobody misses you when you're gone. Nobody cares. Reality, no one's, none of us want to be there. Reminds me of a tombstone I read about up in Winslow, Maine. It reads this way on the tombstone. It says, in memory of Beza Wood... Departed this life on November 2nd, 1837, aged 45 years. Here lies one wood encased in wood, one wood within another. The outer wood is very good. We cannot praise the other. Ooh. (laughs) Don't you hope people have better things to say about you when you die? When this life is ended, that people have... Better things to say. Josiah is remembered and honored well. Why? Why is he esteemed highly? Why 70 years later after he's off the scene are people still singing, literally singing his praises and mourning his passing? The answer we find In our text here, look in verse 26. It says, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his acts first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. What is it that people remember about King Josiah? What is it that they focus on in his life which they say is so honorable And makes us miss him. The answer it says there, his good deeds according to what is written in the law of God. Not just that he did nice stuff, not just generally good deeds, but he says his good deeds in relation to what God has written in his word. In other words, King Josiah was a man who, if you recall back in uh, a couple of weeks ago in Pastor Aaron's message, when the law of God was found because it had been lost during his father's reign, his father was such an evil man, and the, the word of God had gotten tucked away in a closet somewhere, not paid attention to, and in Josiah's time, as he's instituting reforms, they find the book. And as it's read to him, Josiah hears the word of God and he becomes committed to putting it into practice. That's what made this man memorable. That was at the core of his legacy. He determined to be a man who lived according to the word of God. A man who lived rightly. And that's an important message. It's really the heart of this message today. How do we leave a good legacy? The answer is that a, that right living, that righteousness, living according to the Word of God, leaves a good legacy.
That's good news and bad news. It's good news because it's really simple. Do you want to leave a good legacy? Put God's word into practice in your life. It's bad news because most of us don't do that very faithfully as we ought. I want to notice this morning as we look at the life of Josiah, three legacies, three legacies of a righteous life which Josiah has illustrated and exemplified for us. Just three of the ways that a righteous life leaves a good legacy. We could say there are many more, but these are three that I see in the life of this incredibly impactful Godly young man. By the, by the way, even a young righteous person like the group up here on the stand up, up here this morning on the platform, even a young righteous person can have a powerful impact and leave a mighty legacy. Three legacies of a righteous life. The first is this. Righteous living, righteousness, brings honor. Centuries before Josiah, Solomon wrote these words, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When a person lives in a close relationship with God, as Josiah did, they begin to reflect and to exhibit the the character of God. Characteristics like honesty and integrity and humility and compassion and selflessness and generosity. Such characteristics are attractive because they are rare. And because they bless others. Qualities like that very often earn the respect of people around. Even godless people. Respect and admire people of who, as the Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of, the, of God's Spirit living in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Somebody who lives like that, the world notices because it's unusual. And they begin to admire people like that. How is it that you're patient when everything falls apart? How is it that you're kind when people are mean to you? How is it that you love others? How is it that you have such joy even in difficult times? That is righteous living. And when a leader, when a king exudes these qualities, it tends to lift up the entire nation along with him. So it did with Josiah. A righteous king brings honor to a nation. And may I say, I think the same principle is true even for those who are not kings. Those who are leaders in their community, if they live righteously, it honors the community. In churches, those who live righteously, they bring honor to their church. And in families, as I say, I intended this message on Father's Day, dads, when we live rightly, It brings honor to our family. When we love our wife, when we love our children, when we live faithfully, when we live with patience and kindness, when we live with integrity and honesty, when we treat others with respect, not only does our family benefit, our family is honored 
when we live rightly. For all of us, when we, when we live that way, we ain't, as I said earlier, we, the world takes notice and we gain reputation as men and women of honor. And I can't prove it from Scripture, but I can say from experience after 67 years, people who live righteously rarely die unmourned. They rarely die like Josiah's ancestor where nobody mourned his passing. Righteous people are missed greatly because righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness exalts a family. Righteousness exalts those around them. In contrast, as the proverb goes on, sin brings reproach or disgrace on people. A sinful leader brings disgrace and shame upon those associated with them. And we get that because we see it. Most of us have lived long enough. We've seen leaders in our nation who embarrass us when they are caught in sin or in corruption. And it's embarrassing, isn't it? Many of us have had experience in closer to home in, in, relation, in things at work or with, with a church or in our own family where someone sins and causes great pain to those around them. But those who live rightly, those who live righteously, don't leave a legacy of pain and disgrace and shame, but they leave a legacy of honor. How we need such people today, do we not? And God calls us to be such people. That is one way we become lights in dark times. A second blessing of righteous living, a second legacy of a righteous life is that righteous living, right living, positively benefits and impacts and influences other people. Back in chapter 34, if you just look up from chapter 35, at the end of chapter 34, we see just the account of what happened as the word of God is discovered and as Josiah hears the word of God, it says there in verse 30 that one of the things he does is he has the word of God read publicly. He gathers together the people of the land and he gets the word of God and he wants it so that everybody and anybody will hear what God has to say. He's concerned that now that we have God's word, we better listen to what God says. And then we discover in verse 31, now that the people have heard the word of God, Josiah himself personally and publicly makes a commitment to follow the word of God. He commits himself to God and says, God, I'm going to be your man. I'm going to go your way. I'm going to put this into practice. He does it in front of all the people. And then he calls the people to join him. He says, hey folks, will you join me? Let's go God's way. Did that make a difference in a land that was dark where people had been running from God and... Uh, People had been sinning perversely. Look at verse 33. It says, As long as he, that's Josiah, lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, 
the God of their fathers. Again, the impact of a single godly person changed the behavior and the inclination of a nation, at least during his life. That's one way he impacted his world. Another impact of Josiah's life I see in chapter 35, going back to the chapter we're in, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Aaron reminded us or told us about this, this wonderful Passover that, that uh, Josiah led as he led reforms in the nation and then called the people together to do what they should have been doing, which is observing this great celebration of God's goodness and grace and honoring and worshiping God together and remembering God's care for his people and his salvation of his people, rescuing them from Egypt. And I noticed something really significant. It was a grand celebration, but notice down in verse 7. It says, Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and goats from the flocks to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. King Josiah said, guys, we should have been doing this all along. It's been neglected. We're going to have this wonderful celebration and worship that God has called us to do. And as we're going to do it, I'm going to make it extra special. We're not only going to get together. You're supposed to bring a lamb. But today, for this Passover, I'm providing the meat. 30,000 lambs, 5,000 bulls. And I was wondering, or, or Steer or cow, beef. There we go. <laughs> I wonder, how many people does that feed? And I didn't go bother looking up anybody. I just guessed. You know, what if you feed, can you feed 10 people off a lamb? Probably. Can you feed 100 people off a cow? Probably. That translates into well over 500,000 people you're feeding. In other words, he provided the meat for the nation. But he didn't do that like our government does. Our government gives us a check for 50 bucks, but they taxed us $100 to give us that $50. It says it came out of his own treasuries. It came out of his bank account. He wrote the check, as it were. That's pretty amazing. But not only did I find that amazing, I looked down just a couple verse later, verse 8. And his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests, and the Levites. In other words, not only did Josiah give generously, his generosity inspired everybody who worked under him, everybody who served under him to say, you know what, what can we do? So righteousness does. Righteous people who live rightly People who live godly, who take the word of God seriously and put it to practice in their life, they are inspiring people who inspire other people to do likewise. He inspired people to live generously. Not only that, as he put the word of God into practice in his life, Jeremiah has this other comment on what Josiah does. Josiah helped the poor and the oppressed. Listen to what the Jeremiah records, actually the prophet Jeremiah is recording God's words here. And God said, he, speaking of Josiah, judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Is this not to know me, declares the Lord? 
In other words, Josiah, as he put the word of God into, into practice in his life and in his nation, Josiah took up the cause of the oppressed in the land. He stood up against wrongdoing and he took care of the poor and the needy, providing justice, assuring that there is not injustice in the land. He understood that his position as king wasn't about serving himself, but about serving his people, especially those who were vulnerable to be taken advantage of, to be exploited. And I note that God says that that attitude and that behavior is the natural outworking of a genuine relationship with him. God said, is this not to know me? Isn't this what it means to know me? If you're in relationship with me, you will have my heart. And God has a heart for the poor and the disadvantaged and the hurting and the exploited and the oppressed. See, part of the reason that righteousness leaves a good legacy is because right living righteousness positively impacts the world around us as we live rightly. We point people to God. We're generous. We care for those who are hurting. There's a third blessing that I see in Josiah's life, a third legacy of a righteous life. That is that righteousness or right living brings God's blessing Again, a couple of weeks ago, as Pastor Aaron took us through this passage, you may recall that when Josiah first heard the word of the Lord, when it was found and the priest brought it in and it was read to him, Josiah was immediately very troubled and very distraught because he realized when he heard the word of God that that Israel had not been faithful to God. Israel had broken their their covenant, their, their agreement with God. Israel had rejected God and had run away from God and followed other gods, and Israel was in imminent danger of the judgment of God. And indeed, the prophet came and spoke to him, and this prophet said that judgment is certainly coming on the nation of Judah because of their rebellion against God. Despite all the warnings for a couple of hundred years, they have been running and running and running and running from God. Only that little bit of time that we saw a few weeks ago with Hezekiah was the other bright spot in that spiral downward. And the prophet said, it's inevitable now, judgment is coming. But, interesting thing, God also said to Josiah, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and you have humbled yourself before me and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. And God goes on to say, Josiah, because you've humbled yourself before me, because you have been obedient to me and you have, and he has tried to turn the heart of the nation to God, God says, This judgment won't come during your lifetime. All the days that Josiah is alive, the judgment will not fall. God's judgment was averted. It was postponed because of the influence, because of the life, the right 
living of this one godly young man. God's justice is surely going to come against the sin of this nation. But it won't happen during Josiah's time. Why? Because God is gracious. And I imagine that when that word came through the prophet, that those who heard it were now very grateful for King Josiah. It was one big reason a lot of them probably mourned his death. Because God's hand of judgment was only going to stay as long as Josiah was alive. Indeed, after Josiah dies, the nation almost immediately reverts back to the evil that they were before. And the judgment of God began to fall just two years later. And in about 20 years, the kingdom is going, the southern kingdom of Judah is wiped out and they're carried off into captivity in Babylon. But that's another story. But I want to point out a couple of things. First is this. The greatest legacy that anyone can leave and that Josiah himself left is a legacy that points to God's grace. In our case, to Jesus. You see, God is willing to forgive those who will turn to him. The nation of Judah ultimately was not going to turn. They faced God's judgment. The greatest legacy that a righteous life can leave is one, a legacy that points others to the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Bible is very clear that we are sinners. Every one of us has done what is wrong. We are sinners. As such, the Bible says that we are condemned and destined. We are headed for the judgment of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 puts it this way. The wages of sin is death. It is the death penalty. It is hell. But God has provided a way of rescue for, for us through Jesus Christ. God became man to live among us. A righteous life which no one has ever lived perfectly righteous except Jesus. And to die as a righteous man, a death to pay the penalty that we deserved for our sin. And he rose again from the dead to secure for us eternal life. And so now anyone who will come to God even as Josiah did. Anyone who will come to God as Josiah did humbly recognizing we're in deep trouble. We're a sinner. We need a Savior. God in His grace will save them through Jesus Christ. We trust in Jesus. No one is, is saved because they are righteous. No one can live a good enough life. Not even King Josiah. Salvation, the Bible says, can only be received as a gift from God by trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. And so, no one is saved because they live rightly. But people who are saved live rightly. Not because it saves us, but because we're saved. And it's the logical thing to do. If God loves me so much, he rescued me from sin, why would I keep living in sin? I want to follow him. If you're here this morning or listening this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the key issue of life. 
Because that is your eternal destiny hangs on what you do with Jesus. For all of us who know Jesus, this is the central thing of legacy. The greatest legacy we can leave is a life that points people to Jesus Christ. The only hope there is, the only salvation there is. One last thing as we talk about Josiah's legacy and the point I already popped it up there so it's not a secret. Sadly, Josiah's legacy didn't continue with his sons. He had three sons that followed him as a king and one grandson. All four of them in that short little bit of time the nation continued after Josiah died. Three sons and one grandson who sat on the throne in Judah. Sadly, not a one of them followed the Lord. Not a one of them were godly. They were all evil men. And as promised, as I said, God's judgment soon began to fall on the nation and eventually they were taken captive into Babylon. But Josiah was loved and honored for being a godly man, a good man, and a godly king. And we might wonder, why is it that his, none of his sons followed in his footsteps? How did such a good and godly man, who did so much and was such a bright light in such a dark time, how did he lose his children? Spiritually speaking. Why did none of them follow in his footsteps? And I looked and I can't find the scripture giving us the answer. It doesn't say. But as I look at this at his life, I, I see three reasons, three very likely reasons why his sons didn't follow in his footsteps. And as I thought about them, they are very common problems and very common challenges for us today as parents as we seek to raise our children to follow Jesus Christ, to be godly young men and women. Here are the three challenges he faced. And the first is this, Josiah was young. He became king at age eight. And people in royal stuff are kind of weird in what they do. I noticed we don't deal with royalty very much, but we watch across the pond And, you know, a few years ago, a big deal was made, and we heard about it even more recently in the tabloids, how there was this big push to have an heir and a spare. Remember hearing that term over there? Well, Josiah was king at age eight, and there was a big concern because guess what? Who's the heir? We find when you do the math, when you're looking at his sons, you do the math, you find out he became a father at age 14 because people were anxious to have an heir. And we all go, dude, no wonder the guy had problems being a dad. 14-year-olds need fathers. They're not prepared to be one. But I thought about that and I realized that, you know, we can see the obvious problem with that But the reality is, when we became parents, none of us had the wisdom and the grace and the skill and the maturity and everything that we needed, right? How many of you were thoroughly prepared for parenthood? (laughs) You get into it and you're going, whoa, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, he was young. So in light of that, may I say this, how do we overcome that? If you're a parent... Invest yourself, or about to be a parent, invest yourself. Make it a priority to learn and get good advice about being a godly parent. 
Get to know godly parents who have raised godly kids. Learn from them. Dig into the word of God and see what it has to say about parenting. There's good wisdom there. Another challenge that Josiah faced in raising godly kids is that Josiah was rich. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19? He said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is very hard to raise godly children in a wealthy world because we get to think we don't need God. We've got our own stuff. We get distracted by, by things that don't matter because these things are shiny and pretty and they make lots of noise and they get our attention and we get focused on all the wrong things. How hard it is to raise godly children. It's even hard to be godly in a rich world, much less to raise godly children. And Josiah, as king, was rich. May I make a suggestion, those of you, again, who are parents or going to be parents, how we need to take to heart very clearly the Word of God, which calls us to different priorities and different things. First Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes Timothy, and he writes instructions to the rich people. And he says, and as for the rich of this age, uh, this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be entitled. How much we think, well, I deserve. No, we don't. That's the biggest, some of our biggest problems. We deserve to be happy, says who? We deserve to have this and have that, says who? We get our focus on all the wrong stuff. He says, don't be haughty. Set your hopes. Don't set your hopes on riches. Don't get, don't get enthralled with riches. But set our hope on God. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous, ready to share. It's a whole different mindset that we need to be trying to build into our children if they're going to be following our footsteps and following and follow Jesus Christ. Lastly, Josiah was busy. I can't imagine the pressure of running a kingdom. I can't handle the pressure of just being one of the people that helps run the church. It's way above me. I can't imagine that kind of pressure. Running a kingdom takes time especially as young as he was and all the reforms he was trying to bring about and the things he was undertaking. Imagine he had a bevy of people to help. There were nurses and nannies and tutors and and advisors and they all were happy to help raise his children. Problem is those nurses and nannies and tutors and everybody else had, had, were probably all much older than Josiah and, and they had lived during the time of his wicked father Manasseh and all the perversion and the garbage that was going on that day and time and what they're feeding Josiah's sons with is not the truth of God's word but they're feeding Josiah's sons with what they think is just the way things ought to be, their own ideas. Josiah failed in one thing Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, where it says that we are to take the word of God and we're to teach it. And speaking to fathers, it's our responsibility to teach our children, to talk to them, it says, about the word of God when we are at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down, when we rise up. We're to, to stick them on the the doorpost of our house, meaning that the Word of God infiltrates everything we do at home. And we're to stick it on the, the gates as we go out because it's to affect how we live out in the world. Our kids need to see the Word of God lived out in our life and they need to hear it talked about in the dailies of life. 
And the only way that happens is when we make it intentional. Our kids today were talking about that up here on the platform about their mission trip. How, you know, we need to be talking to people about Jesus. <laughs> it's not going to happen unless we intentionally make the effort to do it. So it is at home. Well, right living leaves a legacy. It is a legacy that will impact the world and make a difference. But we need to leave a legacy that points to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, time is so short. Life is tough. We get busy. We have all kinds of excuses why we don't engage with these things. We don't invest in perhaps our children as we ought in teaching them, of instructing them and be an example to them. Forgive us for that. How important that is that we all engage in raising up the next generation to follow Jesus. Father, that also requires that we be a good example. Josiah was a good example. He lived rightly and godly, and it impacted his generation. May we live that way. But may we not follow his omission in investing in the next generation. So, Father, may you bless us in this church. Help us to be an impact in our generation. And help us, Father, to raise up the next generation well. That they may stand strong for Jesus. That they might, we might all live as bright lights in our day. Until the day comes, which we hope is soon, when Jesus Christ returns. And we see him face to face. In his name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.